0: What's your job description in relationships? That might sound kind of formal, but we do have jobs and roles that we play in relationships. Maybe it's the supportive one or the organizer, or how about this one? The caretaker? Anyone? (laughs) That one might resonate a little too much. Well, in today's episode, I'm talking about three categories of roles that we play in relationships and how the people pleaser fits nicely, but uncomfortably into each one. Hey, I'm Vicki Smith. This is Power to the Pleasers podcast. And let's just, let's just go ahead and do it. Why don't we? Let's just get on with the show. Hey, it's Vicki Smith. Welcome to Power to the Pleasers podcast. Want to start doing things on your terms and finally feel confident just being yourself in relationships? Well, you've landed in the right place. Here we break down your people-pleasing and perfectionistic patterns so you can move from being polite and doing it right to showing up, speaking up, and even laughing it up with people. Not sure it's possible? Well, stick around, friend. I'll show you how. Hey y'all, how are you doing? It's February. <laughs> I I feel like that's my answer actually. Like when people ask me how I'm doing, I'm like it's February <laughs> because I am not a winter person. I am a spring person, and so February, the like the whole month, just feels like the last three miles of a marathon. It's like I'm almost there. I'm almost at spring. I just got across the finish line. I call it my February funk. So hopefully you are not having a February funk, but welcome to mine. And let's just fast forward through all of that and just get to the topic. Okay. So we've been talking about friendships, friendships, where focusing on the other person in the relationship of friendship. And I want to focus on you today because there are two people in a relationship and you are one of them. And I want to focus on the roles that we play in our relationships, especially as people pleasers, because, I mean, we want to play the role of supportive friend, easygoing friend, person that never causes you waves, only offers you positive experiences. (laughs) We want that role. But sometimes we sort of overdo the supportive, flexible, don't rock the boat thing. And so I'm going to highlight three ways that we kind of overdo that. And I first learned about these ways of being in relationship in my early years as a therapist. I worked in a residential rehab, and the folks there were addicted mostly to substances, and they were required to stay for 90 days and learn how to live a sober life. And part of the recovery was to work with their loved ones. Uh, the people closest to them, you know, while they were actively in their addiction. And so that was family members, right? Spouses, mom and dad, sometimes even older kids. So family week happened in the residential rehab, and it was a big deal for both the clients and their loved ones. It was a highly emotional experience for everyone involved, even the staff. And my first family week, I remember sitting in on a workshop that one of the had uh, counselors put on and this was for the family members specifically and the topic was the role they played in their loved one's addiction. <laughs> Whoo, it was it was I told you it was an emotionally charged week. So no one really wants to admit that they had a hand in how someone's life becomes unmanageable and out of control with substances, but we do have a hand because like I said there are two people in a relationship. So you might be a pleaser in a relationship with an addicted family member or friend right now. So this episode might hit home a little more than the other pleasers in the audience. But it applies to us all. And the three ways that we overdo being supportive, (laughs) the three roles we can play with folks are rescuing, enabling, and controlling in our relationships. And I want to share that these... Ways of being, if you will, in a relationship. I want to share these with you because, well, I don't want you to get freaked out about them. I'll just say that you're not making things worse by doing them. There are two people in the relationship, and we sometimes get reactive. We sometimes overcorrect. Okay. And honestly, since learning internal family systems, which if you've listened to me before, you know that I love IFS, um, the parts of our personality. But since learning about IFS, And that there are parts of our personality that protect and manage our anxieties and our fears. I just see these roles, these kind of categories of roles as ways that we do that, that we are managing and protecting, managing things in the relationship that are scary to us, that trigger us in some way. So I really see enabling, rescuing, and controlling as defensive strategies, And for the most part, we don't consciously know we're defending ourselves in relationships. We're just kind of reacting (laughs) to what the person does or doesn't do, whether we're triggered or not. We are pretty highly reactive in our relationships. And that doesn't mean we're chaotic. It just means we don't consciously know sometimes the roles that we're playing, hence this podcast. (laughs) So sharing these with you is just meant to open your eyes. Not only to how, you know, these show up in family members with addicted loved ones, but how you might be over-functioning in your relationships. And I know that we're tired. People-pleasers are tired. And a lot of it is because we over-function. But I also want to share these because I want to emphasize that they come from a place of fear. The old fear of rejection, judgment, and abandonment that takes us down as people pleasers, as humans. (laughs) And all of those, rejection, judgment, and abandonment, those are big hurts, right? So we are all trying to avoid having to experience them. And so I wanna talk about these roles with you today. And I also just want you to know that I get it because I have done all of these too. And for a while, I didn't know I was doing them, even though some of them were pretty blatant. So some of that can be subtle. And I think I'm going to focus more on the subtle today. So I remember seeing the family members sit in that workshop and feel like they had caused their loved ones to be destructive in their lives, to hurt themselves through choosing substances. And of course, this was exactly their opposite intent. (laughs) And That's the motivation behind rescuing, enabling, and controlling, in all honesty. It's the intention to take away the other person's pain and also our own pain. Our own pain really is more in the controlling role. We'll get to that. I want to start with rescuing first. So this isn't about you sweeping in and being like an EMT or a firefighter and saving someone's life. Rescuing for a people pleaser can be quite innocent at first. (laughs) You know, someone's dog dies and you bring them Ben and Jerry's and wine. Sit down and watch a bunch of Netflix with them, right? They're having a hard time. You feel compelled to help ease that pain. That's basically what we all think a friend is, right? You know? I mean, what would anyone with a heart and $20 do? (laughs) I would do that. It's just that sometimes us pleasers, we don't stop there. We crave the approval, the smiles, the hand on the heart with the genuine, thank you, oh my God, that's so awesome. You're such a good friend. We crave that. We feel important and needed. And like, we did good. We were a good friend. We get the check. We can get a little lost in wanting to have more of those smiles and genuine thank yous because when we get that positive feedback from someone, when we do something for them, it helps us feel connected to that person and their approval, the attachment that we have to their approval can make us needy it can lead us to overdo stuff and over function in the relationship so that we can keep getting that positive feedback. Anything that helps us soothe our fear, right? Anything that helps us feel like they're not going to reject us or judge us or leave us, we will do. So it is really about fear. And that might seem like I just went like to the deep end and said, like it's about fear. Everything is from the the origin of fear. (laughs) But please don't tell me that that is not what is usually brewing inside of us. We want to avoid any kind of rejection, judgment, or ending up being alone, being abandoned. And there is a true fear of that in all of us humans. So we're out there in the deep end when we talk about the fear, but it's in all of us and it motivates us and we have an intention to behave in a way that will get us as far away from the deep end of fear as possible. Let me just add this in too. You know, we want to help out a friend, right? But as a pleaser and probably a card-carrying empath, when you step into the pain with someone, you end up taking it on yourself. And we have a tendency as pleasers to think that makes us even more awesome as a friend right like don't you love me for doing this for you for being the one in the relationship that can hold your heaviness and who the roles we play in relationships they really are us just acting out the unconscious thoughts we have about what we think we need to do to make relationships stick so if I hold your pain and that makes you feel better I'll keep doing that too Well, even though people like that, we have a tendency to say, this is the way I should be and kind of the only way to be if I want to get people to like me. All right, we're talking about rescuing, right? So here are some ways rescuing can show up that you might not have realized. Doing what people are capable of doing themselves and actually need to do themselves, but we do it for them. Like... If you have adult children and you still do their laundry, or you're at the grocery store and you're like, oh my God, so and so would really like this. And you buy like six of those and go give them four. Those people can buy their own groceries, right? So we do things for people that they are capable of doing. We meet people's needs without them asking us for help. I think the laundry could be a good example of that one too, right? Like, oh, I'll just do your laundry for you. And it's like, uh, I was planning on wearing that shirt again. (laughs) You did that without asking me. Getting involved with what isn't any of our business (laughs) and forcing our help on people. I've had clients that have really come face to face with this because they've kind of gone above and beyond. They wanted to sort of teach people a life lesson by you know, taking on a project for them and hoping that they would catch on and, you know, take it over themselves. And then they would turn to this person, my client, and be like, thank you so much. I just needed to get over that hump and you just helped me do it. Let me tell you, they were burned every time. People don't want to be helped. They're going to resist it. The thing is when you take on more responsibility than others or you absorb people's consequences for them, they're actually deprived of being themselves and taking up space in the relationship. And that's what we don't like feeling. Eek. So things start to get a little one-sided when we do this rescuing thing. And eventually both parties are resentful. Okay, enabling. I'll just say this. When we enable someone, we aren't holding them accountable. We aren't speaking up about how their decisions and actions impact us. And sometimes we're making accommodations for them and we're using our superpower of understanding their side and we're just giving them the benefit of the doubt way too much. So again, this is a role that bears a burden. You know, if I stay silent and don't express my needs because I don't want to upset you, that's a burden I'm holding. And matter of fact, if I believe that if I did show up and express my needs, that you would feel put out and put upon. That is a burden I'm holding. And I'll just be honest that rescuing and enabling, these are two ways that we co-sign other people's bullshit a lot of times, right? We get them out of consequences. We take care of issues for them before they even know they need it. We can keep people stuck without intending to. We can just want to be helping, you know, helpful, and we take on way too much. Now, I think about enabling and how I really enabled my family members, one family member especially. Speaking up really wasn't an option in my family. You just got nowhere when you spoke up. So if you can't speak up, you end up just letting the crappy behavior keep happening. And that's what I did. I set a boundary. I stayed away from my family for a long time and still do. I live in a different place than they do. But when I was with my family, I would play quiet mouse (laughs) the whole time, you know, like, "Mm -hmm, yeah, just smiling, head nodding, just going along. So with enabling, again, we are – we're just – allowing other people to keep doing what they've always done, and it can be hurtful. If we try to keep making the road smooth for other people, sometimes it does actually ease the tension that we have between us, but it doesn't ever really remedy the disconnect we have. It doesn't really start to poke a few holes in the dysfunction, right? I mean, if we step in and rescue or fix the problem for them, we think the stress is going to go away, but it doesn't. So enabling, it can look like us just following along, being super flexible, being easygoing, being the yes man. I know you've seen this on TV. Okay. Like TV and the movies, there's always this a-hole character, right? And and this person is just full of themselves. And there's usually someone that kisses that person's ass. And I always want to yell at the screen and be like, dude, stop bowing down to this guy. He is bad news. (laughs) But that's an enabler. That's a yes man. It's the guy that always thinks everything that a-hole says is a great idea and just keeps feeding that positive feedback to that a-hole and they're never called out on anything. It's dysfunctional, but nothing is ever pointed out. No one ever says stop, right? The behavior just keeps going. So that's one way I've really resonated with enabling and it's been painful. It has been a burden and it keeps distance between us in our relationships and people pleasers really, we want to connect. So again, it is the opposite intention of what you're hoping for, which is to be seen and heard and, you know, accepted. (laughs) That's a big one, but still. So I used to be more of a follower in my friendships as well. But I realized that a handful of years ago, I, especially with one friend group, I really switched to this next one a little bit more, the controlling role in relationships. This one fires me up because I think people believe people pleasers are controlling. And seriously, we all do the controlling thing, okay? I mean... Sure, we can be the rescuer and we can overstep our caretaking duties, and I get that, but just think about all the ways that we all try to control our worlds. Planning everything out, micromanaging something, having personal rules about how things should be. All of these are ways that we're trying to protect ourselves. Controlling fits for not just the people pleasers, but for all humankind but we are all just trying to protect ourselves and to connect and ensure our place in relationships. We want to feel safe. We want for people to be feel positive around us. We want to feel important to people. We want to feel approved of by people. And controlling might be kind of <laughs> not the greatest way, <laughs> To get approval, I will admit. And it might be a little bit more out there, like more blatant than subtle, like enabling and rescuing. They sort of have a backseat vibe to them, right? Like that supporting actor role. But controlling is more out there. It's more like Julie, the cruise director. You know, I'm the one in charge. I'm the one that has the plan that we all need to follow, Why do we do the controlling thing? Really, why do we do enabling or rescuing? We do it to avoid uncertainty. None of us enjoy uncertainty. We do the controlling thing, especially to try to make something predictable. Predictable feels calmer to our nerves. But enabling and rescuing, the intention is to decrease tension, and that always makes us feel calmer and our nervous system. So this controlling role, it happens when we're scared. It's a big leap from passive, which is enabling for sure and somewhat rescuing, to aggressive being the controlling role. But let me remind you and reiterate and all of that <laughs> that these are strategies, right? And they come from the deep end of the pool, fear. Strategies that we've used to try to help manage and protect ourselves from feeling way too much fear. We've figured out (laughs) that one of one or all of these is the best way to show up in relationships. We can either support like hell or we can direct like Julie the cruise director on the love boat. As a pleaser, we're going to turn to one of these at some point because we just don't feel stable in our relationships and relationships feel conditional. And each of these roles are ways to decrease that uncertainty in our relationships and make them feel a little more stable. If I can do this thing for you and you need me, I feel connected to you. If I feel connected and I have a role to play and that's sort of defined, even if it's unconscious, it's just something I know I do for you, then I feel like, oh, this is predictable. I can make this happen. I feel safer. Therefore, we feel stable. It's still conditional, but we feel stable. So these are ways, like every other human, (laughs) that we as people pleasers try to cut down on the discomfort we feel in relationships. That discomfort that comes out in the insecurity that we feel inside when we say to ourselves things like, Oh my God, is this okay? Do they like me? Are they going to judge me? Am I all right? We try to cut down on that because we say... Or by saying, I'll do this thing for this person. They'll need me and I'll feel connected. (laughs) I'm telling you, over and over again, we do this. We find something that feels good. Kind of like that Instagram like or follow or whatever. We do something that we get the feel good. We get the positive feedback and we do it again. And it can feel like a nanosecond of connection, When we do some of these things for people, when we rescue them, when we take a consequence away from them, when we over-deliver, when we don't call them out on their bullshit, crappy behavior, we can feel like, oh my God, okay, I didn't make things worse. (laughs) And that can feel like a nanosecond of connection But it goes away and we have to do it again. And this is why we end up over functioning. We do it so much. We rely on it too much to feel like we're a good person, like we're in a nice, fun, positive friendship. But it's taking a toll on us. And it often irritates the hell out of other people, (laughs) especially if they're like, hey, you don't have to take care of me. Like, I actually want this to be reciprocal. Whew, that's a that's an interesting one. So I just want you to know that I get it. I've done all of these. I've Julie Cruz directed The Hell Out of Friends before and been the one that's always initiated and set up the reservation at the restaurant. I've done all of that just so I won't be left out. (laughs) If I'm the one inviting people, then I won't be not invited. I've definitely done the enabling and stayed silent. And I've definitely come in, swooped in and said, let me take that pain away from you and rescued. There are just ways that we're trying to connect and feel important and special. So I want to put this out there to you. What if you felt okay, good enough, and special without having to overdo the supportive, understanding, available, helpful friend. That is so much of the work I do with clients is to help them untangle these patterns of thinking and behaving. The things that we use to get our fix of approval. And the work that I do with clients is around learning how to find the calm inside yourself instead of hustling to find the calm, (laughs) which you might not get from another person's smile or thank you. All of that really depends on how the other person's feeling in the moment. So it's not reliable. It's actually not stable. So if you're up to do some work on this, There's a link in the show notes to set up a discovery call and let's see if we're a good fit. I love doing this work and I'm hoping that through some of these episodes, we're not just highlighting things like, hey, this is not good for you to do as a people pleaser, but we're also talking about how you can untangle from these. I would love to help you right size these three strategies. So that you can learn how to show up with that Ben and Jerry's and wine, watch some Netflix. And then trust that the friend will reach out when they need more support. (laughs) Look, I know you're worn out. I've been there. I still get caught in it. But I let that worn out feeling, that resentment inside, I let it be a signal that I'm overdoing things. So hopefully some of this made a light bulb go on in your head. Maybe it offered some clarity for things that you've kind of felt in the dark about, but know that there is help out there, help for you, (laughs) if you just ask for it. So I'd love to talk. And until we can, again, peace out, friend. Be well. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about me and how I work, please go to www.powertothepleasers.com. And if you want to get even more special attention, get on the mailing list. It's not fluff. It's not going to waste your time. It's always intentional and educational. So I'll see you there. Later.